This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The problem with obesity continues to be a significant one in this country as well as around the globe. And the ideas of how to help people reduce their weight, live a healthier lifestyle are continuing to be researched. One recent look at the problem involved the using of monetary incentives for different levels of exercising, but not nor, uh, not ordinary ones. These incentives were in some degrees like a lottery. One in five people get X. One in 25 people get X. So what impact did they have? Mitesh Patel is an assistant professor of medicine and healthcare management at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and as well at the Wharton School. He has uh, been one of the leads on this study, and he joins us now in the studio to discuss this. Great seeing you again. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Obviously, the the issues surrounding obesity are such a, a, a huge one right now. So wanting to look into this and, and various aspects of how you deal with obesity, how you deal with health and fitness is probably a very important issue for you to look at. Yeah, rates of obesity are rising. Nearly 70% of adults in the United States are either overweight and or, or obese. And we know that better diet and more exercise can help that, but the challenge is getting people to actually adhere to those treatment regimens. So uh, the idea that you had for this research really started how? I think the idea is is based on something that's already really prevalent in the industry, which is more than 85% of large employers use financial incentives for health promotion. And most of them are targeting ways to increase physical activity. And and many are now starting to offer wearable devices or or other types of platforms to help employees track their uh, own um, physical activity measures and their step counts. So we wanted to test what's the best way really to design an incentive to motivate employees. And a lot of times, and I know from personal experience in the past, the incentive at a, at a company I worked with before was, okay, if you do this program and you can meet some of these goals, then we'll give you the rebate on your membership to the to the gym. So that's one of the ways that has been tried. But the ways you were looking at, as I mentioned, were specifically looking kind of like a lottery method, correct? Right. And many many tips, types of uh, programs are using lotteries or drawings to motivate people. I think the challenge is that the, the mechanism that you described was, you know, do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll give you a rebate on your health insurance. You know, it requires you to do a bunch of stuff up front, and then it, it gives you a, a rebate that's kind of buried along with other things. And so we wanted to test ways to pull that incentive out, make it more salient, more visible as a financial incentive, and, and leverage the fact that people are so motivated by lotteries. In the United States, we spend $75 billion a year on lottery tickets. So you can imagine that people are already familiar with it, and it really drives people to change their behavior. Well, it's not even just the lottery mentality. It's a little bit of the gambling mentality that we have in this country, and not only just the, the gambling institutions, but the fact that we will spend money on you know a chance on the NCAA tournament, for, for one example. We have that kind of mentality in our system. Right. So this is meant to leverage the fact of will people, you know, make a place a bet on their own well-being? Will they bet on themselves to be more physically active and change behavior? So the the betting is so how this played out exactly uh, occurred how? So, you know, the standard way to do this is um, either a simple lottery, which is, you know, you have a one in five chance of uh, or one in four chance of getting five dollars. And that lottery runs every day or a jackpot lottery, which is there's a very large amount of money available. In our study, we used four hundred dollars, um, but uh, sorry, five hundred dollars. But there's a one in four hundred chance. So people barely uh, rarely win that. And those two challenge those two um, ways and mechanisms are 
are hard because in the jackpot, people, you know, they learn quickly, they don't win, and so they get discouraged quickly. In the other one, it's kind of the same lottery every day. And so we added a third one, and we did it as a, a randomized trial, so people are randomly assigned to one of the three lotteries mm-hmm. or a control arm. And the third one is what we call a, a combined lottery or a two-tiered lottery. So, so essentially, you had a one in five chance of winning $5 or a one in 100 chance of winning $50, which was about the same as the two other lotteries we described. And we tested head-to-head whether which one of these three lottery incentives would get people to be more physically active compared to control. And was there a significant difference between them? There was. Actually, the combined lottery worked the best. So in the control arm, people reached their 7,000 step per day goal 26% of the time. But in the combined lottery, it was 38% of the time, a 12 percentage point increase, almost a 50% relative increase. Now, in the other two arms I described, the simple lottery or the jackpot lottery, essentially no difference from control. We actually found in the jackpot lottery, people started really high, but they got demotivated very fast. And by the end of the study, they were actually doing worse than the, than the arm that got no incentive to start with. Why do you think then, then there was that difference in success rate with the combined lottery then? I think the combined lottery in many ways works uh, like the standard lottery that we think of. When you buy a lottery ticket, there's you know a, a $500 million jackpot lottery. But that's not the only thing, right? If you match two or three numbers— right. You might win $20 or $100, and the, the method there is to a dollar, to, a dollar <laughs> right, to keep you engaged, you know, that right. you're going to win something. And so the combined lottery really leverages that. You win something small, which kind of keeps support, but then you have that large jackpot that's in front of you. It's a balancing of the two different mechanisms. You think about it doing just a lottery in general. When you have those, those winnings, that dollar winning or $2 winning, how often people will just put that money back into another ticket. Right. And so, again, it's probably the same philosophy. You're getting a dollar, five dollars, whatever it might be, but it does spur on the want to continue and, and potentially have another win down the road, however small it might be. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it, it really balances um, you know, your daily motivation versus your long-term aspirations of winning that large lottery. So how do you think that, then knowing this information – can impact a lot of these different programs that are out there that companies run because the the company is looking to to establish better health outcomes for their employees because they know it's a significant cost in paying out if somebody you know goes uh, on on leave because of cancer or whatever the the disease might be. Yeah, I think employers are doing this for a variety of reasons. You know, they want to reduce unnecessary costs, but they also want to make their workplace a healthy one. They want to build a culture where people, you know, are excited about being healthy and so I think promoting um these these types of efforts goes along all of those lines. And I think one of the challenges is that most employer-based financial incentives for health promotion are, are, bo- are focused on standard economics, this idea that you can use a simple lottery, either you win a small amount every day or there's a large jackpot. In, in truth, we see mostly that people have the large jackpots. And what we found, which was interesting in this study, is those can actually be discouraging because people very quickly realize that they don't have very good chances of winning. And yeah. so it becomes demotivating. And so I think what what employers could do is take this these findings along with some other, you know, the, the other findings we found in other studies and, and really take a step back and say, you know, the way we design these incentives really matters. So let's put some thought into this. Let's look at the evidence out there, including this study and others, and think about better ways to align our incentives with the goals of our employees. And we're talking with Mitesh Patel of uh, the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton School. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on uh, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Great having you joining us here today. Um, uh, I guess when you look at the lottery kind of mindset and, and thinking about that that large prize that, that you have out there, 
people will get discouraged. But if that number ends up being the right number, like you think about a lottery, when that number gets up to 400 million or 500 million, people just jump in because they're willing to take that gamble. You know, they're willing to take that that leap of faith. Uh, did you see that as being an element, even though it, the number was like 400 or $500? I do think in the beginning, people, you know, when in the $500 lottery, people got really excited. And the challenge, I think, that um, is key is the difference between a, a one-time behavior, like getting vaccinated for the flu, versus a continuous behavior, you know, reaching your step goal every day. If you're going to hold... Um, if it's a one-time behavior, you've got to get vaccinated, then a larger lottery could work because people get really motivated at the beginning. They might yeah. get their flu shot. And if they don't win, you know, you have a whole year before you have to run the lottery again. But in physical activity or weight loss or diet changes or taking your medicines, these are, da- these are daily behaviors that require you to be engaged not only every day but for a long-term period. And so those types of things require different types of incentives. And yeah. so you need to think about both the short-term and the long-term. And because of uh, the the fact that you're talking about people's health, making sure that you have them involved in a daily basis, like the the correlation you made of, of people being involved in a lottery on a daily basis, that's a huge part to this process that I don't think gets talked about enough, is making sure you have that involvement, you have that connection with that person, with that employee on a daily basis so that they are you know, trying to improve their health outcome. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, a lot of inertia up, up front getting people engaged in these programs. And so that's where a lottery or a large jackpot might really help. But then once they're engaged, you've got to keep them engaged. And we, we see a lot of people who, you know, New Year's resolutions, they'll start a join a gym or they'll start a new <laughs> diet or Weight Watchers and then very quickly fall off the wagon. And so we need to think about how we can design these so we keep people engaged. But isn't the end goal eventually, and I don't know how you do this because mindsets of people change from person to person, but isn't the angle is to try and get people to want to do this without the incentive, without having that as the, 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 the pump to help them along the line, whether it even be $5 as, as little as that, correct? Yeah, ultimately, we'd like to help individuals to build healthy habits. And I think that requires a couple of steps when it comes to incentives. I mean, the first is understanding which design can help people in the short term. That's kind of the research that we've done. The next is saying, okay, how can we help people in the long term, running the incentives longer? That's research that we're currently working on. And then one once we've developed that, then we can start saying, okay, how can we, how can we deploy a, a, you know, a fixed-term lottery that when we stop, people continue to be more healthy afterwards? And uh, I think we're just starting to, to, to move in the direction where we can test that. We have had some success by combining financial incentives with social incentives because we know that social, social relationships and connections to our families or our friends are there you know, longstanding. Yeah. Um, and so there may be a way to marry those two types of approaches together to help sustainability. Social in incentives, really, specifically what? So things like, you know, if, if you were to go to the gym by yourself, you'd probably have less success than if you went with a buddy. So, you know, okay. you, you hold yourself accountable to that person on days when you're not motivated. They'll say, hey, let's let's go. Come on, keep it up. Or on days when the other person is, is feeling down, you can be that person. Um, and so you can think about ways that we can leverage that with financial incentives. We could make the incentives contingent on competition between those yeah. two people, between working competi- together. competition never happens between two people going to the gym. It, right, ne- it never right. happens, right? So this is a way to supercharge that. <laughs> or we could have them work together or we could have them support each other. And, right. and, and then once the incentive stops, 
those two people are still going to the gym together. And so if sure. you've been able to build that dynamic, you have that support system in place. But And, and it, one of the advantages out of this, and not that it was part of the research, but it also improves the overall culture in the office as well. If you have that overall uh, benefit in the office, then potentially I would think coming back, you would have those benefits on these health outcomes as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what we'd like to see. There is evidence looking back saying that, um, you know, you're more likely to be physically active if the people around you are physically active. You're more likely to eat better if you work, live, uh, you know, interact with people that eat better. And so if we can change, if we can find the right people and, and get a certain proportion of people to, to change their behaviors, we, we'd expect in the long term or we'd hope that we'd see spillover effects. And I think it's part of building that healthy culture. It's probably part of the reason why we see groups of, of people walking up and down here outside on, on the Penn campus at lunchtime. You, right. you get those groups going, and then that obviously helps uh, helps spur along everybody to, to continue to do this. Yeah, social influences are very powerful. So when you see other people doing certain things, it encourages you to do the same. So you were talking a second ago. Now, the, the idea with this research is to try and expand on it and see, I believe one of the things you said is seeing over a longer period of time how the how this uh, potential impact can, can play out? Yeah. So the studies we've done so far are anywhere from the range of three to six months. And we have a couple of studies that are a year, a year and a half long that are in progress, testing mm-hmm. different types of financial and social incentives. And we want to look not just at physical activity and weight loss, but we want to look at clinical outcomes like changes in your hemoglobin A1C or your blood sugar control if you're a diabetic or your blood pressure if you're someone who's at risk of cardiovascular disease or your cholesterol levels. And so those are areas where we're really focusing on leveraging the work we've done to expand it for a more clinical um, scenario. Now, when you were doing these these research uh, projects, you were doing them with people working at specific companies in, in different groups, correct? That's correct. You know, one of the benefits of, of, of doing that is you have a large population who's, who wants to do this. The employer is uh, aligned with that. Right. Um, and so in this study, we use overweight or obese um, uh, individuals. We're trying to focus, now that we've le- found things that work in those populations, we're trying to focus more on people with high-risk clinical things like uh, uncontrolled diabetes, heart attacks, um, high cholesterol, and so on, and also people um, who may have lower socioeconomic status, people that live in West Philadelphia or don't have access to the same technology that someone who's in a, a large employer might have. I was going to ask you, what, what has been the reaction to the employers that you worked with to starting to get some of this data and maybe giving them a little bit of a better understanding of, of where they need to take these programs within their own companies? I think the reaction has been really positive in terms of, um, you know, these are typically employers who have been working for years to make their programs programs better. And um, by showing them that if you just do a, a simple test, test three different ways, you know, the same monetary amount, but just designed differently, we can have a dramatic uh, change in outcomes has really um, been enthusiastic. We now have a number of partners that we work with in the employer and non-employer setting um, that are interested in scaling these more broadly to their population. I, I would think also it's not only the, the health outcomes that the companies are worried about, but these companies are making investments in these programs. Uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars forward, bringing these ideas forward. They want them to be successful. And so it's it's a little bit of a story of an investment as well, making sure you have the right investment in your employees through these health outcomes. That's correct. Finding the best way. How do you make that $1 the most effective in terms of benefiting people, I think, is keen on the minds of these employers. And so we want to help them do that by thinking specifically about the design. Did you talk to some uh, of the people that were involved in this study afterwards about their reaction 
to this research and and to the effectiveness or not of these different groupings? Yeah, so we did surveys across all anyone who participated in the trial, all 209 people, and we asked them, you know, what were things that worked well, what were things that didn't? And um, we had a really positive experience in that. We had employees who told us they had been trying to become more physically active for years and just hadn't found the motivation to do so, and our study really helped them to do that. Um, the other thing that we found was that people really use the um, – so in this study, we use smartphones to track step counts, which people okay. carry with them all the time. There's a lot of excitement about wearables, which we also study, but people really use their smartphones a lot because they carry them with them all the time. Yeah. And so we had like more than 95% of people who started the study finish the entire six-month trial. And you don't typically see that. Usually you find people who start these programs, about half of them stop using it within a few weeks. And so we were really encouraged by that. What activation did they have to do? I mean, they had to probably go onto an app and, and activate it, or was it you know built in an app that that would track their step count you know, from the start of the day throughout the the entire time till they go to bed. So we have a platform called Way to Health here at the University of Pennsylvania, which is a technology platform that allows us to connect with patients in the, in their daily lives. It can be through smartphones, wearables, pill bottles, whatever it might be. It's really simple for them to sign up. We actually never saw any of these people in person. They did yeah. it all remotely. Um, they signed up. And once you sign up, it runs automatically. So that's one of the nice things is that you don't have to keep opening an app every day. Right. You don't have to keep doing things. All you have to do is carry your phone. It's as simple as that. And if you make it, if you make the technological barriers easy, yeah. it's easy to understand why people will stay engaged. That's exactly what I was going to say, because when people don't have to feel like they have to do 15 different things to get this done, it's, it's more acceptable to, to, to move forward with a project like this. So that becomes a question of technology moving forward, which, as you kind of alluded to, we're so connected to our devices these days that the technology has as great a chance to advance a lot of these outcomes as, as just the reminders that you get from your friend or your, or your neighbor. Right. We know be changing behavior is hard. And so we know that these the, and these folks have come to us and said, hey, we have a challenge. We have trouble changing behavior. That's why we need your help. And so we're asking them not only to be physically active, but we're asking them to wear some new device and sync it and so on. And that becomes challenging. And so we really try to design our studies in a way that can minimize the technological barriers. So where do you take this next? So I think we have a couple of studies that are currently um, going on right now. We have one with uh, uncontrolled diabetics. Um, that's a more clinical one. Um, we have one with um, a large um, employer, Delo Deloitte Consulting. Mm -hmm. We've actually um, have 602 of their employees in this trial. They're actually from 40 states in the United States, so all over the U.S. We just filled that trial actually a few weeks ago, and so Deloitte was interested in, in partnering with us to really test how we could leverage social incentives. And so we're working with them to figure out what's the best way to motivate their employees in a way that we could potentially leverage um, to expand not only to their population but other employees employers and we're doing this on a nationwide level. But as you said, I mean there are there are more and more companies that are interested in having this type of research done so they can have a better idea of what's going on with their employees, how they can incentivize them in a proper fashion. To, to be able to get them to, to change their lifestyle. Yeah, for them, it's a win-win. If we can get employees to be more physically active, lose weight, take their medicines, it's beneficial for both the employee and the employer. And so I think that a lot of our work has shown that a simple changes in design can have a dramatic effect. Um, and we're, we're eager to partner with employers that want to be able to leverage that to, to improve the health of their population. How, how do you reach, and again, part of this, I guess, is probably you know seeing what's been done in prior studies, but how do you reach those financial numbers to be able to 
to maybe get that level of interest. Well, so one thing that's interesting is that the average large employer in the United States spends almost $700 per employee per year for health promotion. So they're already wow. spending a lot. Now, yeah. the, the, the number we used in this study was about a $1.40 per day, which over the course of the year is $550. That's what they were spending back in 2014 when we started uh, planning for the trial. Now it's over $700. And so there's already lots of money out there. The real question is, how do we use that money in the best way? But again, the, the money that they will outlay for this type of research and for these parts of programs, most likely, I would think, in the end, it is is less than the savings they will get from people having healthier outcomes. Oh, yeah. They, they have thousands of dollars to gain just by getting someone to be more physically active, to lose weight, to get their diabetes under control, to quit smoking, whatever it might be. Um, the potential benefits here are tremendous. You mentioned before the, the, the demographics of the different people that were involved. And therein lies a, an interesting question because a lot of people talk about for people in low-income situations, how much harder it can be to try and fight off what may have been familial patterns in terms of eating, uh, drinking, you know, soda, water, whatever it might be in years past. How much of a challenge is that in terms of, of these types of, uh, of programs? And how much do you talk to the people about that specific problem as well? Yeah, I think each population has different challenges. You know, so, so within the you know, people with lower socioeconomic status, you know, they may not have a smartphone or other types of technologies to get engaged in this, or they may have competing challenges like you mentioned in terms of either things that have gone on in their lives or other struggles and challenges. For the employed population, we, we still see challenges. They're just different. You know, they're working really busy schedules from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. in an office at a desk. And so when are they going to get the time to go to the gym? And so so I think, you know, everybody and on, at the individual level, in either population, there may be something else going on in your lives. And so I think we need to think about, you know, another area that we want to potentially expand upon is that the design of these programs is typically one size fits all. You pick an incentive, you pick a social right. incentive or a monetary incentive, and you deploy it to thousands or millions of people. And each person is probably going to vary in the way they respond. Sure. And so I think another front where we want to work on is thinking about how can we personalize this or target it to people in a better way. So some people might respond better to a financial incentives. Other people might be turned off and respond better to a social incentive. So that's part of the work we're doing is understanding who responds and who doesn't so that we can, we can make progress in that front as well. Which is a challenge then because, the, as you said, the companies do think one size fits all because they want to put out a program there, have the people adapt to that program. You're saying that we need to think of it from the other perspective of having the people involved and having the program adapt to them. Exactly. I, I think the program itself could be adaptable, especially with the rise in technology. We can understand sure. are people responding? If not, we can move them to another intervention. Well, but there are also simple things. For example, most programs give people a step goal. Let's, let's take that, for example. Let's yeah. say 10,000 steps, and we know that's really hard. It would be better if we ask people to get a baseline level, and so we know who's walking 3,000 steps from the beginning and who's already walking 9,000, yeah. and then we say, choose a goal. We can tailor it to you, and by choosing a goal, you feel more motivated because you picked the goal as opposed to us assigning it to you. And so typically we do that now, and we're also, we also have a study launching um, in West Philadelphia with people at high risk of cardiovascular disease who are testing different ways to set goals to mm -hmm. see what can really impact their behavior. But you can also adapt that, those, those goals as you go over time. That first three- to six-month period may be 3,000 steps, 5,000 steps, whatever that number may be. They have success with that. That next six months could be 5,000, 7,000 steps and keep on right. going down the process as you continue to 
to, to run out these programs and you have the better health outcomes. Right. It could be continually adapting to their behavior, and I think that would give them a better experience over the long term. Great seeing you again. Thanks Thank for coming you. in. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Mitesh Patel from here at the University of Pennsylvania. Great study that uh, he and his people have done uh, talking about uh, health outcomes and the incentives that uh, some companies uh, will bring forward to be able to get people to, to think about healthier lifestyles. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 